turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, kind of wrapping up this week, the series on the unstoppable mission. The mission continues, the series ends. The, the message this morning is kind of a continuation of last week, and we talked about the equation of momentum, which, okay, so that's P equals uh, mass, M, times velocity. Mass is made up of two things, density and volume, which we talked about last week. So mass is the combination of density and volume. In other words, deep and wide, okay? Um, the more, uh, spiritually speaking, the more depth we have and the more of us that have depth is a major factor in having momentum as a church, okay? And so as we grow in our understanding and application, the appropriation of the gospel, and our numbers grow, we have greater mass, which is helpful for momentum, right? You with me on that? Everybody, we got that part, right? Okay, so uh, to have a lot of people without a lot of depth is you're just going to be a mile wide and an inch deep, and it doesn't create a lot of mass. We showed last week I had an image of a beach ball. Okay, and if you're bowling with a beach ball, it's not really going to work really well. You want a smaller ball called a bowling ball with high density and um, some serious weight there. And then when you throw that ball with the momentum, the velocity going the right direction, which, you know, preferably not the gutters, um, it's going to strike the pins and it's going to do a lot of damage. It'll be really awesome. And so as we're advancing the kingdom of God, we want to grow in our uh, our depth of um, our understanding and application of the gospel and, and growing in our relationship with Jesus. That's where mass develops. But here's the other part of that equation, which I misspoke on and really didn't explain last week. And that is velocity. And velocity is direction. Um, it's, it's speed going in a, in, a, in a right direction. Okay? So in other words, if we say, all right, we're going to move a big giant rock. We're going to push it. Let's get everybody together. Let's push this boulder. And um, we all go to different sides of the boulder, and we all push at the same time. We're not going to accomplish a lot. Because we'll be working against each other. In the same way, if we were all to turn around and put our backs towards the boulder and all just kind of push the air away from it, we're not going to accomplish a lot, right? So we have to get our, our energies pointed in the same direction and then we can accomplish something. So then now we have velocity because we have direction on purpose. We have speed on purpose. Does it make sense? So when you're applying speed on purpose against a mass, with some mass, then you, that creates momentum and we see kingdom expansion, kingdom growth. But, but here's the problem with this, is we live in a time, a day and an age, where society is, has never been more radically individualized. Radically individualized. Everybody does their own thing. Everybody, and even when we come together to gather, we still come kind of partially committed because we're, we're, we're in a lot of other things and Yes, spiritually, I mean, I, I like being in the body, but I also kind of do my own thing. And, and um, we live in community, but we also live out of community, and we do this, we do that. And it's really hard for us to really all get on the same page because of pride, because of uh, sin sometimes, because of selfishness sometimes, because of good things. We just have other things we're about, and they're not bad things. But think about the impact of the body of Christ if we come together and we begin to exert energy in the same direction, we can accomplish greater things together than we ever could do apart. Does that make sense? And so the, the big question there is, how do we get onto the same page? And the answer is, we need to be pulling from the same message 
and we need to have the same meaning. We've got to be we got to have the same message that we're all. It's kind of like if you're going to tune um, a, a room full of pianos, you don't tune the first one and then tune the second one to the first one and then the third one to the second one and then the fourth one to the third one and then the fifth one to the fourth. You don't do it that way. If you do that, you're going to end up with a very out of tuned um, room full of pianos because they're all going to be slightly off. But if you if you ring the tuning key and you tune each one to the same tuning key. Okay, where we begin with the same pitch, then we can have uh, consistency between all the pianos because they all are coming from the same source of sound, the same message. But what does the message mean? So we need to have the right message and we need to have the right application of that message. And that is where we find direction on purpose. And that's what this passage is about. In uh, Matthew chapter 11, uh, here's what's going on. Um, Jesus has... Had John the Baptist has showed up and um, he has asked, I'm sorry, he hasn't shown up. He sent some disciples. He's in jail. He can't do anything um, except sit in jail and wait for his likely imminent death. And um, he's going to be beheaded shortly, as we know the rest of the story. And he sends his disciples to Jesus because things aren't working out the way that he thought they were. And his agenda is not matching up with Jesus' agenda. And so he says, hey, are you the anointed one or should we be looking for another words? Another one. Are you the uh, Messiah or should we be looking for another Messiah, that's that's the message to Jesus. And Jesus answer to John the Baptist followers is he says, OK, hey, go tell John the Baptist that uh, what you see in here, the blind see the um, the lame walk, the dead rise, um, the uh, the gospels being preached. And so he tells them all these things and he sends them on their way, which basically Jesus was quoting the prophets, the prophet Isaiah and other prophets and saying that here's the fulfillment of the prophecies about the Messiah. It's happening Everything is unfolding exactly as it's supposed to. Don't sweat it, John. Everything's good. Because John's going, I thought it was going to work out a little different. I thought that there's going to be a big battle. Messiah's going to come and rule and reign. And we're going to be done with this. And he didn't realize that Jesus was coming to die before he was going to reign. He was going to come to be the suffering servant before he was going to be the conquering king. They didn't see those two uh, separate events. He saw them all kind of going together and not, never saw the Jesus dying part of that. Okay? And he certainly didn't see the John the Baptist dying part. That was not part of the plan. And so John's dying. He's going to die. Uh, and he's not understanding why things are not going the way he thought they were going to go. It's not looking the way he assumed it would look. And so Jesus tells him, hey, everything's unfolding just like it needs to. That was two weeks ago. That message is online. You can listen to that. Uh, last week, we talked about the, the, the kingdom of God and how, that appropriate, how we appropriate that as cross-life church, that we want to have mass and we want to have volume and want to be moving in the direction to create momentum to advance the kingdom and that we ended by the passage says the kingdom of god is forcefully advancing and forceful men try to take hold of it so what that says is there's conflict the kingdom is being opposed but it's pressing on and jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church and so that's where we ended and then there's one last thing he says about john the baptist and it's it's such a short little passage most people would skip over it but um, but because we go verse by verse uh, through these passages, we, we've got some stuff to talk about today. And that's verse 13. Here it is. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like a children. They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, but you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they said he has a demon. 
And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, well, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and a sinner. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. That's the passage. So the first part of that is we want to answer the question of what is the message? If we need the right message, the right meaning to to be going in the right direction, what is the message? What's the message? And so here's what he says. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. What he's referring to is, uh, is, okay, we have the prophets, we have the law, but we also have the word, capital W, capital O, capital R, capital D. In John chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, it says this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 1 says that the word preexisted with God. Verse 14 says that the word is Jesus, the son, and that it took on flesh and dwelt among us. But he goes on and says, verse 15, John bore witness about him, the, the word, the son, and cried out. This is was he of whom I said he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Verse 16, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only the only God who is at the father's side. He has made him known. So Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. John's saying nobody's ever seen God face to face. And Jesus is saying, but if you've seen me, you have seen the father. And okay, that's not a contradiction. He's saying you can't look face to face with the father, but you can see me who is I'm God and I'm God, the son. And so you've seen what the father looks like, not physically, but you've seen the 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 um, the heart of the father as as I've been among you. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of not just the prophets, the law, but he is the word. This was confusing to people. They they had a hard time walking away from the way things were to um, embracing what is now for all the prophets in the law. Prophesied until john what he's saying is the law and the prophets the law was saying you know what you aren't good enough and uh, you're really messed up and here's the list of reasons why you're messed up and so what happened is the jewish people were saying well we can we can live up to that list we can do that we can do that list let's do the list and and what they were missing is there 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 was always places that they were not living up to the list and jesus had a great ministry of pointing those out to them hence the conflict that we're going to see when we talk in the next weeks about being rescued from religion. Okay, so the list is meant to never be a something for us to live up to. It was meant to confront the fact that we don't live up to it. It's the schoolmaster or better explain the tutor that brings us along to explain to us and to point us to Christ, who is the ultimate teacher, who ultimately um, embodies these truths and ultimately has set us free from the bondage that the law has condemned us. Um, of of the, the guilt that the law has condemned us of. Jesus sets us free. The law takes us to Jesus and makes us, forces us to go, hey, you can't make it. Well, then what am I supposed to do? Well, let me take you to Jesus. He can, he, he's already done it. That's what the purpose of the law is. The prophets were saying, he's coming. He's coming. The law is saying, you can't. And, and, and these messages are being preached and preached and preached until the fullness of time comes and Jesus steps on the scene and John the Baptist is the first one to... to uh, share that news the final prophet that is on the cusp of 
the way things were and the way things were going to be in the beginning of the kingdom of God. And so, yeah, the law and the prophets prophesied until John, but it's different now. Now, let me just pause briefly to say that that does not mean that we're done with the law and the prophets. Well, we don't need them anymore. The, the, the danger is some people just dwell on them too much and they try to, to obsess with them and then others neglect them. Both of those are wrong. Because when we go to the law and the prophets, we have a much greater understanding of who Jesus is and how he fulfills um, these prophecies. And uh, you, you can't have, you're, you're going to grow significantly in your understanding of Christ and how awesome the gospel is if you will spend some time in the Old Testament. You can't fully embrace the New Testament until you've been in the Old Testament. But the Old Testament is not going to save you. Jesus said in John chapter 5, you search the scriptures, translation, you search the law and the prophets because you think in them is eternal life. John chapter 5, you search the law and the prophets because you think in them is eternal life. But these testify to me. I'm the eternal life, not the law and the prophets. They're pointing to me. You're missing it. And so that was the first challenge there about the message. The second thing is, who is John the Baptist? And then we have some confusing, uh, confusing things here. Let's look at Malachi chapter four, verse one through six. It says this. I'll read it off the screen if that's all right with you guys. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven when all the arrogant and the evildoers will be stubble. That's a in Hebrew that means combustible. Okay, they're going to burn up. Um, really doesn't mean stubble, but that's what it means for us. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. They're going to be burnt to the ground. For, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb and all Israel. And before I read that last verse, let me tell you that this is the last chapter in the Old Testament. 400 years before John the Baptist was born, 400 years of silence. This is the last time God spoke through his prophets to his people. And here's the last verse he says, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. I will send Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome, terrible day of the Lord. And so John the Baptist comes onto the scene. But then here's the problem with this. In Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 17, it says, He will go, this is a prophecy by the angels of John the Baptist, that he will go in the spirit and the power of Elijah. This is a angel speaking to um, his parents. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. But then in John chapter 1, verse 21, when asked, are you Elijah, John the Baptist? He says, I am not. Are you a prophet? He says, no. So what's the deal? John says he's not Elijah. But yet the angel said he was. Malachi said that, John, that Elijah is supposed to come. And so they bring the question to, um, to Jesus. You know, what's the deal with John? Um, you know, there's this question in people's minds. And so Jesus says, if you're willing to accept it. He is Elijah. Here's the implication. 
it's not going to fit in the way that you probably are thinking he's going to come. And this is probably not in the box that you have framed in your mind for what Elijah's supposed to do or what he's supposed to come like. But if you're willing to accept, in other words, if you will yield yourself, your will, you'll surrender your agenda. John is Elijah. Well, newsflash, what's the meaning? What's going on here? The, the meaning is, is that there's something new happening. That the, all the prophets and law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, Elijah, uh, John is Elijah. Jesus goes on to say, Matthew chapter 17, verse 10 and through 13 says, The disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Here's the the beauty in this. And this isn't the main point for this morning, but this is really good thought. God has plans for you that you don't even know. And so we're, we're so obsessed with being known that we miss out on what God really wants to do in our lives. Instead of just being about what God wants us to be about and being faithful, and we want glory. We want glory. We want notoriety. Okay, We want um, you know, more people listening and watching and observing and applauding and, and, and being impressed by us instead of, instead of decreasing so that Christ may increase. Two interesting statements by, by John the Baptist. He said, a person, in John chapter 3, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. In other words, John did know that everything he has and the following that he had acquired and the notoriety that he acquired was a, simply a gift from God, and it wasn't an, a permanent thing. He was just going to play the role God had called him to play as long as he needed to play it. And then he goes on to say a couple verses after that, you know what, guys, to his disciples, I have got to decrease. Christ has got to increase. I've got to back out of it. And he's the one who needs to be bigger. And when we live lives where we decrease and we let God increase, God will do things in and through your life that you will look back and go, wow, I never knew that God wanted me to, you know, was going to use me in this way or that way or whatever. You will not understand until heaven the impact of your life if you will just surrender your agenda for god's agenda and just be who god's called you to be instead of trying to be something you want to be just be who god's there's more impact in humility and servitude and surrendering yourself to god's will than there is in trying to make a name for yourself that's the that's the message that's the message and so he ends this section by saying he who has ears to hear let him hear are you are you sure you hear to hear means to take in, to comprehend, to appropriate the information, not just to hear it, but to take it in, to embody it, to live it out. That's what it means to hear. If you're willing to accept it, he says in the previous verse, and then he says here, if uh, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So many, many people were in earshot of Jesus and would not accept that he was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets because they defined their lives by keeping the law while debating and quoting the prophets rather than listening to the message and looking for the fulfillment of them, the law and the prophets. Jesus, again, said, you search the law, you think that that's where the eternal life is, but it's, it's in me. Galatians said that the law is 
to point us to Christ in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke through the fathers, to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has anointed to be heir of all things, through whom he has also created the world. Yes, he spoke to the prophets. Yes, they're significant and wonderful. But now he has spoken through his son who is here, who has come. And so it's even greater. This is the way I think of this. I don't know if you've flown before, but if you've ever flown um, and you're kind of checking out the, you know, everything around you, uh, uh, you're you should hopefully have pulled out the little card, right? The card tells you about your plane, where the exits are, you know, in, appropriately in the cabin, right? The ways to get out um, and, and the, where that little uh, the oxygen things will come down. And one of the things that's in there, if you've if you've read it, is there's always uh, an explanation of. Um, the fact that they have a flotation device. Now, on some bigger planes, it might be a little deal that pops on you and has a little light and a whistle and inflates and all this stuff. But most of the time, it's just a seat cushion. Like the seat cushion you're sitting in right now, it somehow pops out, and it's a flotation device. And so it always shows you the thing. You pull this thing out. So in, in the event that there is an um, unscheduled landing in a body of water, okay, of whatever sorts, and uh, you, you live to do something about it, and you're trying to get out of the the plane you're to take the seat turn around pick your seat up and then put your hands through the straps i don't know if you do this before you you know get down the aisle or what i don't know at what point but some point before you get in the water put your hands and then this is your flotation device and you can float on it and and so that that's the way this goes all right so if you've never read the fine print now you know the rest of the story now you know what to do with the but here's what's going on what, what, think about this. Think about a plane crashes, traumatic events, crazy, and somebody's like, oh, good night, what am I going to do? And so they grab the card with them, and they run out, and they jump into the water with the card because it's the explanations of what to do in the case of an emergency. So they jump into the water, and they're holding their little card, and they're clinging to their little card as they begin to sink, okay? Or they start treading water, and after a while, they begin to realize this thing doesn't really float very well. And what, what was going on is Jesus was saying, you guys are clinging to the law and the prophets, which were never meant to float you. They're never meant. They were explaining to you what to do when you come to the, the reality that there is disaster. Your life is a disaster apart from Jesus. And so turn around, humble yourself and embrace Christ and he'll save you. He will keep you afloat. Put your faith, your trust in Christ. He will keep you afloat. But what was happening is the people were saying, you know what? Uh, Jesus is cool and stuff, but I just I love the card. I just like the card. I mean, it explains to me what to do. I mean, with a flotation, it's great, but it's just a flotation device. This has information, explains what to do. I need this. That's other stuff. Tells me what, what kind of plane this is. It's so awesome. But the reality is it's not going to keep you afloat. And so John the Baptist is... Um, Pointing to Jesus and Jesus is saying, look, if you have ears to hear, John is Elijah who was pointing to me. If you're willing to receive this information. And so the mess, the message is that it is about Christ. It's about knowing Christ, about surrendering your life to Christ. And then here's the last part. And this is so intriguing how he writes this. But what shall I compare this generation? What shall I say about this, this group of people here? Uh, it's like a children sitting in a, a marketplace calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. In other words, they did a song for celebration. If you jump to the next slide there, a song for celebration. Here's the meaning song for celebration. And then uh, and, and when they sang the song for celebration, what happened is nobody sang. 
So it, this is here's the mindset here. Marketplace, the center of activity where all the trading and the buying the groceries and buying stuff and whatever it happens. So it's like going to the mall and having a little kids area in the middle. And there's some kids playing in the mall where there's transactions going on and people hustle and bustle and all this stuff, a lot of activity. And there's some kids playing in the middle with some other kids and they're playing their little flute and they're wearing it out and they're playing a song of celebration. And yet everybody's so busy being about the stuff of the day and the other kids distracted by the hustle and bustle that nobody is listening to the song. They don't have ears to hear. And so they're not celebrating according to the song. And then he gives another illustration. because We played a dirge for you. So we, we a song of lament, a sad song. You guys didn't cry. You didn't mourn. You just went about your... They, they, they didn't pay attention to it. And so then he... he Paralleling that, he says, for John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. And the son of man came eating and drinking, and they said, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend, a tax collector, sinners. In other words, John was a very sober, uh, serious guy who didn't have time for food. He really could care less about the buffet. It really didn't matter to him. He had a message to declare, to preach, to proclaim, and he was about that. And so he lived out in the wilderness a very simple minimalistic life living out in the wilderness proclaiming the message preparing the way for the messiah that's all he cared about that's all he did and so he was incredibly sober-minded calling people to repent and to follow jesus he was playing a song and his song was a song of lament it was a song of mourning but they would not repent with john so jesus comes along and he's singing a song of celebration man i'm going to hang out with the sinners and the tax collectors i'm going to be with them i'm going to hang out with the people that are the undesirables that other people would avoid and i'm going to celebrate with them because salvation has come to them the kingdom of god is here and so he plays a song of celebration and what happens well they would not rejoice with jesus they're not going to rejoice with jesus and so jesus turns and he says wisdom is justified by her deeds you would put it in a country phrase, the proof is in the pudding, right? You can talk all you want about how great your beliefs are and how great your thought is and how great your religion is, but what is it manifested in your life? The proof is in, is the, the, the message is seen in its meaning as it's manifested in the people that supposedly believe it. And that is the answer that... He is saying, so what does that say about our generation? Jesus was referring specifically to his generation. Here we are 2,000 years later, and here's the deal. We, we in, the, in the same way, we either gravitate towards John or we gravitate towards Jesus, but we realize we forget the fact that both of them are there for a reason. Okay, ultimately, salvation is in Jesus, yes. But here's what, here's what happens. Okay, we have three choices here. What is our generation? What, what do we want? Well, we want grace without moral absolutes. That's what we want. We want to be able to do whatever we want. Because we don't want anybody telling us not to do anything. So we want grace without moral absolute. We want to party with Jesus. We want to drink it up with Jesus. We want to dance with Jesus. We want to have a great time with Jesus. Do whatever we want because salvation has come. Yeah, another round on Jesus. Salvation has come. Let's party. That's what, that's what we want. We want to do whatever we want. We want to lead. And it leads to greater immorality and sinful behavior. There's error in that. There's danger, and that's wrong. That's ungodly. That's not what Paul said it this way. Shall we sin that grace may abound? May it never be. He's saying, man, God's grace is sufficient to forgive any sin. So some people are going, well, let me just sin it up so then God's grace will grow and it'll be even greater. And he's saying, no, no, that's not, that's not, the, that's not the point. Here's the other category. 
the, the John the Baptist folks. They're, they're like him. Here's what they, they want laws without the freedom to live responsibly. They want laws without the freedom to live it out. And so they add strangling regulations to it. So they say, you know what, we, we, what we need is because those those celebrators, they're going to they're going to take advantage of grace. And so what we need is more rules. So let's tell them exactly what kind of movies to watch and let's tell them what music to listen to. And let's tell them what they can eat, what they can drink, what they can do, what they can't do, um, where they should spend their time, where they shouldn't spend their time. Let's, let's go into all these details. And let's prescribe it all. Let's put the clothing requirements down. Let's put all of the information out there. We'll, we'll put it all out there so that it's so there's no question. So we all know what we're supposed to do. And so we all can be obedient. We can do what we're supposed to do. And what that breeds is a self-righteousness that, man, I, I have achieved this. And which is basically a false righteousness. Because, you know, you have it. You can try all you want, but it doesn't. It's not going to save you. It's not going to save you. Both of those are errors. So what's the what is the message and what is the meaning of the message? The meaning is this third choice. John says, repent. Repent, turn away from your selfishness, turn away from your sinful ways, look at the law, put it up against your life, realize you are in great need of help. And then Jesus says, have faith in me and rejoice. I have come to rescue. I have come to set you free. I have come to rescue you. I haven't come so that you can live and sin more. I've come to set you free from sin. I have come to set you free to give you a hope and a better life. If you will hear my message, not just hear it and go back to your life, but you will hear it and you will cling to it like that flotation device and you will appropriate it in your life. When we see who floats and who sinks, we'll know. We'll know because wisdom is justified by her deeds. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. What does that translate for Cross Life Church? God's undoubtedly spoken to you in many different ways, I, I trust. But if we're going to have the same message and the same meaning, we look at that uh, formula, the corrected formula for momentum. Uh, momentum, mass, velocity. We need to be deeper. We need to be wider. But we need to have speed on purpose. We need to be going the same direction. Because you know what? You can do your thing and you can go your own direction. You could be about some of you might be a little more bent towards legalism. Some of you might be a little more bent towards freedom in Christ and what you want. No rules, no regulations. And, and yet what we're calling you to and ourselves to on a daily basis, this is where following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, that being changed by Jesus piece of this is the lives of repentance and faith in Jesus. We need to continually be repenting of the things God is continually revealing to us of our deficiencies, of our need for Christ, so that we can uh, put our faith back in Jesus and see the gospel be, continue to change and transform us so that we can be on mission. And so we must have the same message. It's not about moralism, nor is it about immorality, obviously. This is, the message is the gospel. And the meaning of it is not just talking. Talk is cheap. We have enough talk. So, so velocity is when we all get onto the same path of thinking. We all get in the same track here. Let's be about the gospel. It's really simple. We're not going to be about programs. We're not going to be about extra stuff. We're not going to be about, you know, trying to, we're going to have a fireworks show next Sunday night and we're going to have the most unbelievable fireworks ever and we're going to get a crowd to come and then we're going to preach them the gospel. And I, you know what? That's not all bad to do that. I mean, if I'm going to fail at anything, I want to fail at trying to share the gospel with people, you know? That's not all bad. 
I mean, how can we say that's bad when, when we don't share the gospel? Who's the worst? You know, which is the worst evil? Not warning people that there's a destruction after this life? That, that they, if they don't put their faith and trust in Jesus? Or just, you know, going about, because, yeah, we, we, we're trying to live lives of influence. We're going to just live, you know, a Christ-centered life so that they can see our lives and maybe they'll become a Christian by observing that we pray before our lunch every day. That's great. I mean, I hope you pray before your lunch. I think that's wonderful. And I'm glad some churches do firework shows. That's great. But what if we just got on the same track and we said, you know what? This week, I'm going to walk with Jesus. I'm going to know Jesus. I'm going to be changed by Jesus. And I'm going to be on mission for Jesus. And I know that Jesus has an unstoppable mission to bring uh, the gospel to the lostness of society. And so instead of having my church schedule a day when we can go talk to people on Saturdays or Thursday nights or Tuesday nights or whatever, I'm just going to do it in my workplace, my neighborhood. I'm going to bake bread for somebody this week. I'm baking bread or brownies for a neighbor. I don't know all my neighbors. I'm baking bread or brownies for a neighbor, and I'm going to go do that. Or I'm going to go to the library, and I'm going to talk to some people um, about Jesus. Or I'm going to go uh, in my school, talk to some folks at school, or at my workplace, or to my family members, or whatever. And I'm going to not just talk about it, but I'm going to live it out by, by surrendering my life, by serving people, by loving people unconditionally, not because I get something out of it, but I'm just loving people not to get anything in return, and then sharing with them, taking the initiative and the boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit. When my Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. If the Holy Spirit's in you, he has given you the boldness you need. You just need to start talking, and he'll direct it. And so the message, the gospel, the meaning is we appropriate, we live it, and we share it. That is where velocity comes, and that with depth and numbers creates momentum. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would grant to us uh, the, the opportunity to be a part of a little movement where you begin to bring hope to the lostness of the community that we're in father that you do a great work help allow us to be part of of a movement to bring um, hope to the hopeless as we say god i pray that we would we would not um, cling to um, shells or or versions of uh, beliefs to the to the card but we would cling to the flotation device which is jesus that we'd repent of our sins we would embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you're changing us, you would give us the humility to be able to share that with others, the humility and the boldness to share it with others. In Jesus' name, we worship, we pray, we sing. Amen.